guys, and welcome to the show. Uh, we have Ryan back, uh, Ryan Berry, and uh, he's been a guest so often, I'm considering renaming the show to Taste of Premiere with Ryan Berry. Ryan, how's it going? <laughs> it's going going great. Uh, yeah, I love being on the show. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, man, look, uh, you know, uh, you make the show. I love uh, <laughs> I love having you on the show because I love the way that you explain things, and, and you make you make really complex technical stuff seem easy to people that maybe you know don't do this every day and so um certainly it's uh much appreciated bud yeah no uh, no problem yeah that, happy to do it and uh you know we talked quite a bit about uh, azure networking in the, the past two two shows you had me on so i thought we'd kind of take a step forward and, and start talking about some of the other other uh, aspects of running um, infrastructure in azure yeah absolutely so kind of a virtual machine management thing yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are some of the ways you can create them, uh, you know, um, nuances behind that and, and uh, you know, how disks, you know, are, can be associated with virtual machines, how you can back them up and, and uh, protect them once they're running in Azure. You know, so we'll talk about, you know, kind of end-to-end soup to nuts, um, you know, how, how, uh, how you can manage those, uh, you know, those virtualized assets in Azure. All right, absolutely. Well, I'm not going to hold you back. I'm just going to let you kick it off. I know you've got a slide presentation for us. So let's load that up and get going. All right, sounds like a plan. All right, Lex, so uh, in talking about virtual machines, under the covers, there's a lot of pieces of Azure that are used to uh, provision a machine. You know, we talked ad nauseum about all the networking capabilities and um, you know, ways that you can set up VPN tunnels from your on-premise environment into Azure and how you can, um, you know, assign, uh, uh, you know, IP addresses to network interfaces of, of those machines. But now we're kind of going up the stack and actually, you know, talking about the, the VMs themselves. And in doing so, um, you know, there's, a, there's 500 plus uh, what we call, you know, products or capabilities that exist in Azure today. Um, and one of those core building block components is, is um, something called blob storage. And I think we talked about this briefly when, uh, you know, earlier a couple years ago when we, uh, you know, talked uh, a bit about virtual machines. Uh, but functionally speaking and, and briefly, uh, blob storage is a kind of a pivotal core building block in uh, in Azure that can be used through code, you know, you know that for software that you write yourselves. Um, or it can also be used, um, or it is used rather, for storing the virtual hard disk under the covers for a virtual machine that you deploy in Azure. And it, there's a lot of other capabilities that storage has, such as uh, creating something uh, that we call Azure Files, which is a, an SMB share in a cloud. So it's kind of a number of core capabilities of Azure Storage. Um, and uh, virtual machines build on top of that. And we'll talk about <clears throat> some of the, the nuances behind that and some of the enhancements that exist with that as well. Okay. So, um, so um, you know, and kind of, and and uh, you know, there in the middle, we have you know, compute resources, um, and you know, the the virtual machines deployed in Azure have extensions for for both Linux and Windows that allows you to do things like um, hazard resets of of a machine. So, if you deploy a machine that's not part of a domain, you need to uh, reset the local uh, user account um, that you you uh, identified when you actually provisioned the machine. You want to reset that password. Um, you, that's one of the things that you can do with a VM extensions. There's extensions for, uh, you know, deploying anti-malware remotely to, to um, machines you deploy in Azure. Uh, there's extensions for doing things like backup, which we'll talk a little bit about today. So, you know, that's, that's kind of an add-on capability that exists within the Azure environment uh, for a VM that, that you deploy there. Awesome. <clears throat> All right, so let's look at the three different 
um, types of ways that you can actually deploy uh, virtual machines. And there are, this looks a little complicated, and, um, and arguably there's actually only, only two listed on here, but I'm going to start with the simplest uh, uh, approach to deploying a virtual machine. And then we'll talk about these other two options. So in here, you know, we talked a lot about um, uh, virtual networks in some of the last episodes and public IPs, private IPs, and load balancers, and how you can subnet a virtual network and deploy assets in that subnet and network security groups and so forth. Um, this is kind of you know, identifying what you are showing, rather, what you can actually deploy into those subnets. You know, in this case, you know, we're talking about VMs today, so that's, that's what this is highlighting. Um, and in this case, um, uh, it's showing a uh, um, you know group of VMs that are deployed as what we call a scale set, um, and then a you know another group of VMs that are deployed as a, an availability set. And thinking about this at the simplest form, you can also just deploy a single VM, um, you know, with no uh, no high availability uh, you know configuration, you know, just a um, you know one one standalone virtual machine that can live inside of a network in Azure that you can. Um, use network security groups to control access to that virtual machine. So, so that's kind of the simplest approach. Um, and then when you start talking about you know creating pools of machines, so which would be more typical for some of our customers' workloads where they have uh, a website where they have you know some number of machines that they want to host that website. Um, so, starting with this availability set uh, picture down here on the bottom. What that's showing are, are two uh, machines that a customer would actually deploy and uh, configure and actually bind those together into kind of a, a group, if you will. Um, and collectively, those machines would actually be sitting behind a, a load balancer that is exposed to the Internet. Um, and there's an option here, too, that we talked about last week that you can have a, a load balancer um, be internal uh, internal only. So like if you had a, a line of business app, a website that you don't want to make publicly accessible, you could actually deploy an instance of this load balancer that's internally, it has an internal IP address rather a public IP address. Um, so what an availability set is and the way that you actually deploy one of these is you, let's say that you have a web farm that has four servers um, at max to be able to support the load that you're going to throw at a website. Um, the um, what you would actually do is, is literally uh, create and configure four virtual machines in Azure and uh, tell the Azure Fabric that they're part of a, of a cohesive availability set. And then you can create rules to turn those machines on and off. Um, so, you know, based on load, based on, you know, requests coming into the website, based on time of day. Um, but the, the key point here is that you actually have to create hang, all... Hang on. Yeah, Hang on sure. just a second. So that's yeah. interesting. So you can actually create rules that that look at the availability, say, oh, we're at 80%, time to fire this guy up. That's correct, yep, yep. Wow, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and, and with the availability set, though, um, you know, in my example with four servers, you actually have to deploy all four of those um, up front. So let's say that, that you can run with one on, in most cases, and you burst a, you can you want to be able to burst a four, uh, you know, when traffic is is high. Um, so you actually have to you know create four individual machines in Azure and uh, you know give them different host names and you know make them part of you know maybe a direct you know Active Directory domain that you want to maybe centrally manage them and but you actually have to deploy all four of them. Um, and the other three machines during normal times of operation would actually be in a stopped state. So, so you wouldn't be paying for them. 
but you have to have them pre-created up front. So if you wanted to add a fifth machine, um, you would actually have to configure a fifth machine and make it part of that pool of, of servers. And the, the reason why a customer might want to take this approach is that they, it gives them complete control over what resides in each one of those machines, what the um, you know, IP addresses are of each one of those machines, what the host name is of each one of those machines. Um, so it gives very granular control over um, you know, what those individual machines look like. So that's, that's one path that customers can take. Cool. Um, second path they can take is something we call uh, scale sets. That's shown up here at the top. And the way that works is that a customer can give us, um, using the same example, we have four web servers. Um, a, a customer can actually provide their own image that maybe has IS pre-configured, maybe their application deployed on that machine, um, or they can take an image off of the shelf in Azure and use as a base and you know, put some scripting and automation um, on that base to configure IS and deploy their application to it. Um, but the point is a customer only, give, only needs to deal with one image. And they can create, um, like an availability set, they can create rules to expand and contract the number of virtual machines that are deployed. Um, and we just cookie cut, or, or using that image rather as a, as, an, as a template, we cookie cut it to n number of nodes, um, all the way up to 1,000 instances if the customer uh, needs that many, many copies of their VM. So the difference between a scale set and availability set is that the scale set, um, the nodes are going to be um, named based on, uh, not really randomly, but they're, they're going to, the customer doesn't have control over how they're named. So let's say the availability set was called Taste of Premiere. Um, the first node would be Taste of Premiere underscore one, and you know, the subsequent ones would kind of increase from there. So it, it behaves a little bit differently than an availability set, but it gives the customer uh, a, a much smaller administration put, footprint uh, to, to uh, um, you know, instead of having to pre-configure those nodes up front, they can just configure one and kind of set it and forget it. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, so in either of these three scenarios, like I said, the third one being just a single VM that doesn't sit behind a load balancer, um, the virtual hard disks, the, the boot disk, as well as any data disks, sit in Azure storage. And actually, I just realized... Um, we made recently a change um, a couple weeks ago to support four terabyte drives instead of one terabyte drive. So it's actually a pretty significant increase and our plan is to continue increasing that um, you know, to, to larger and larger sizes as time goes on. So the ability to, uh, you know, arguably in today's world, uh, or today's day and age, you know, one terabyte is pretty small. Um, yeah. you know, so, you know, four terabytes is getting better and customers can have multiple disks per, per machine that they deploy and kind of, you know, stitch them together using storage spaces and, and, uh, on a VM. Well, who would ever need more than 20 megs? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> who, who would ever, yeah. 640 K that's a, nobody will need that's any right. more than that. Yeah. All right. Um, so, you know, before we start diving into some demos, I'm going to, um, you know, highlight that there's a, a number of different ways that you can create stuff in Azure. Um, and since we're talking about virtual machines, we'll highlight those, you know, three different ways that you can actually create those. Uh, one, you know, the simplest way is through the portal, and we'll, we'll walk through that. Um, the, you can also use a PowerShell. So uh, in Azure, there's, um, uh, there, there's a set of, of PowerShell commandlets for some of the, what we call the, the Azure Resource Manager virtual machines. Um, so you'll see they have the word RM. That's what, what RM actually stands for. Um, so these are our VMs in Azure that have 
been, or, or actually some capability in Azure uh, with our, our fabric that is used to manage your deployments um, that was released about three or four years ago. So any, to any commandlet that you see the word RM in it is referring to um, some of this newer capability that we have in Azure. So um, in the portal, when you create a VM, you have the option of saying classic or resource manager, and that's kind of the differences between them. The, the resource manager VMs have some newer capabilities um, that you know, we won't won't dive into deeply today, but um, but that's you know, just kind of, just something to be aware of when you're looking at some of the command line tools. Um, you can also uh, deploy virtual machines using our our, um, our cross-platform command line environment, and we have a couple different flavors of this. We have you know a one dot x uh, flavor um, that uses the word Azure, and then we have a, a two uh, framework that actually uses that was rewritten and overhauled, which is just simply AZ. Um, but the point here is that you can use these tools on Linux environments, OS X, or even on Windows to uh, deploy and manage your, your environment. And I'll even show how you can use this in the browser. So that's, that's pretty cool stuff. <clears throat> and then finally, a third way that you can actually create um, assets in Azure is using something we call a resource manager template. And this is um, uh, JSON, which is actually, it stands for JavaScript Object Notation. And think of this as a, a infrastructure as code, a, a, a file that describes all of the um, you know things like what network are you going to do, uh, join this this uh, VM to? What uh, what IP addresses are you going to assign to the NIC? Uh, how many drives are you going to have on that? On that? It, you know, showing here in the examples, talking about the OS disk and you know configuring caching options and identifying that this is a Windows uh, Windows <coughs> uh, VM. So um, you can actually use use this through um, you know a, a REST API. So you can actually have code that passes in these instructions to Azure. Um, you can also take the, that JSON, um, uh, you know, script, if you will, and deploy it through uh, through the Azure portal, and we'll we'll take a look at what that looks like. Um, and you can also use it through PowerShell or other automation tools such as Chef or Puppet um, to be able to automate the deployment of an environment. Um, you know, maybe if you have a test subscription and you want to duplicate that environment exactly in a production subscription, uh, that would be a way that you could do that. Cool. All right, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the storage. Um, so the storage accounts in Azure have, um, there, there's, there's some limits to be aware of. Uh, specifically, there, we have um, two different types of storage that you can actually use to back a virtual machine. Uh, standard storage actually has a limit of 500 IOPS per drive, um, which again seems low, but you can stripe uh, you know, across many volumes to be able to achieve higher higher throughput. Um, with premium storage, you can achieve uh, you know upwards of of uh, 5,000 plus IOPS per drive. You know, just showing what we call a P30, which is a tier of storage that gives you a one terabyte disk size, um, and it gives you some pretty good um, you know throughput of 200 megabytes per second. Um, but one thing to to note is that when you deploy a virtual machine, you actually pick a size of of that, you know, how many cores, how much memory that that VM has, and there are some limits that you have to look at um, in some of our documentation to understand what its limits are. So, in this example, if you had a, uh, you know, a, a DS3 virtual machine, um, the uh, which I think is uh, I think is eight cores or four cores, I, get, I can't recall the number of cores, but it's a smallish uh, virtual machine. You can see that it supports a maximum throughput of 128 megabytes per second. So if you attach one of these drives to this size virtual machine, 
um, it would run very fast, but you wouldn't actually be able to obtain the 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 um, uh, the, the complete throughput of that size disk. So you ha kind of have to look at those uh, those tables and understand uh, you know what what the capabilities are of the disk you're using, and the storage account that you have mapped to your virtual machine, and um, and the virtual machine itself. Cool. So, yeah. All right. So, um, there um, we've had some some pretty significant changes with the way uh, um, you deploy, how you attach or associate a virtual hard disk with a virtual machine under the covers, and we've introduced this concept called managed disks. Um, and I'm going to switch over to a demo to kind of walk through what the difference is between. Uh, you know some of the the older ways of actually associating storage with a virtual machine, um, and the the newer way using managed disks and how that can simplify things for you. All right, Lex. So so what I'm in now is the Azure portal, and I'm in the wizard to actually create a new virtual machine, and I populated it with some details on our username and password and. Uh, you know what resource group container that I want to deploy this into. So, so I was thinking of that resource group as sort of that um, kind of a management uh, uh, abstraction within a subscription. So it's a way for customers to be able to sign permissions uh, individually for assets deployed into a subscription. Um, so I've created one for our show today, and I'm going to deploy this example VM into that. Um, in here, you also pick whether or not this machine is using a solid state storage or a uh, standard storage. So when I talked earlier about premium storage versus standard storage and the IOP difference, um, if I picked the the non-premium uh, storage, this would be the 500 IOP uh, per disk limit that this machine would actually inherit, uh, whereas this inherits whatever the tier of premium storage that I pick when I actually create it. Yeah. So do we actually have racks of SSDs and racks of yeah, oh, the, yeah, mag magnetic storage. Yep, and yeah. and I think I'm not sure. I guess I, I haven't spoken to the the uh, storage team. I, I there might be some direction to move more sort of toward towards solid state storage in general, and um, and throttle uh, you know I/O to it because what we actually do in in our data centers is we have clusters that are of uh, resources that are actually dedicated to just storage. So instead of allowing customers to deploy virtual machines to those clusters in our data center. They're actually used, you know, think of it as a SAN, I guess. Um, it's, it's might be the closest analogy that you could you could think of it as yeah. uh, that, that the host actually communicates with to, you know, to boot the VM. Yeah, it's just interesting. It seems to me like it would be, I don't know, easier to just have everything SSD and then just, you know, throttle the IOPS. Yeah, yeah, that and that that might be what they're doing for um, you know for some of the newer storage. I do know we ha still have a pretty significant amount of magnetic storage. When I've seen some of the you know the tours that I've been on at uh, at our data center, so um, yeah, just absolutely staggering to see the you know a row of of, uh, of storage clusters with exabytes of of storage capacity available. So it's a um, just mind boggling to kind of see how we do things at scale. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, all right, so I'm going to go ahead and go to go to the next uh, step of our wizard here, and doing some validations. This is where, because I picked uh, a solid state store, just going to present to me uh, VM options that have the letter S in them. So, like we have a D series VM, but there's also a DS series VM, and the price is actually the same. Um, if I look at the pricing for DS one. 
a V2 VM um, or a D1 V2 VM, uh, they're both going to be $104 uh, a month uh, for, for list rate. Hmm. Um, the difference being the, the one with the, the S in, uh, in the name is, is used for attaching to um, solid state or premium storage. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and pick, pick this guy. And when this is where things get a little bit interesting. So um, I talked about managed disks uh, briefly, and, th and I thought it would be easier to show what the difference is um, you know, through the, the creation wizard. Um, so you can see the default is no, and when you pick no, there's a bunch of other options here that, that are always here. Um, but one of the um, uh, options, actually, let me go ahead and pick no because it's not showing. Um, one of the, the default was actually yes, I meant to say. And the, if I pick no, um, what it will make me do is pick a storage account that I actually deploy the virtual hard disk um, for this VM into. And um, so I'm going to open up something called the Azure uh, Storage Explorer. Um, and this is actually um, a slightly different storage account. This is actually pointing, to, I have two, uh, two storage accounts that I can use. I'm going to, um, the other one actually isn't picking, isn't showing up. So I'm just going to show you here from uh, the Azure Storage Explorer. So I have, have this one called a, a Taste of Premier Disks uh, 344. So it's actually bound to some other VMs that I have running in the subscription. And inside of the storage account, you can see some of the other things you can do with storage. Like I talked about file shares. Um, there's durable queues. There's some NoSQL type things that, or, or storage uh, that you can use for applications you deploy. Um, and in, in here under the blob section, this is actually where um, you can actually store arbitrary data um, you know, through code. Or this is where you know, the VM's uh, hard disks are, are housed. So... Um, under the, the blob section, there's something it's referring to the word or using the word containers. And the easiest analogy to a container is a, is a folder on a, on a file system. So you can actually create uh, you know, folders within a container, but this is kind of a, uh, you know, a, a bucket, if you will, that stuff gets to pushed into. So when you create a virtual machine and point it to a storage account, it creates this container called VHDs. Um, and you can see in here, there's one with a padlock on it. And the, the padlock means uh, this, v, this particular uh, blob has a, uh, has a lease on it, which means that I'm not going to be able to, to delete it through tools like this because it's actually backing a VM that's running literally right now. Um, so the key point here, here is that when I say no to manage disks, um, I have to um, create a storage account if one doesn't already exist or I have to actually point to a storage account that I already have existing in my subscription to actually tell it where I want the VHD to actually get deployed. And the reason why that's uh, significant is that storage accounts have limits to them. So I talked about um, you know, each hard disk under standard storage having a limit of uh, 500 IOPS. So if I were to deploy 50 hard disks um, into a uh, you know a single storage account, that would mean I, I could conceivably need 25,000 IOPS to accommodate all those VMs. Um, you know if they were were um, you know if there's a lot of I/O going on all those machines at once. A storage account has a limit of 20,000 IOPS, and this is where customers um, you know they have to know some technical details about how Azure operates, and we had. You know, that we have this well documented, but you kind of had to put the pieces together to know, um, you know, gee, if I picked a storage account, it already has 
you know, 40 disks, um, you know, running in it, which means, you know, 40 times 500, that's, you know, our 20,000 IOPS. If I deploy another disk in it, I actually run the risk of being throttled. And there was no way for you to know that that would happen because we wouldn't block you from overloading a storage account with disks. Um, so that was, um, you know, good that we gave customers, you know, very granular and discrete control over how they use storage accounts and how they, uh, where they put the, the virtual hard disks. But we also made it potentially easy for them to shoot themselves in the foot if they oversubscribe it. So is there, would they get a warning or anything that says that, hey, you're being throttled? No, they, they, they don't. Just um, happened. What would, that they, that it would just happen, and and obscure things would happen. Like, um, uh, you, you know, if you if you get it really overloaded, you can actually get in a situation where the kernel isn't able to get a I/O request from the disk um, in a fast enough manner, and it might think that the disk was just ripped out from underneath it in blue screen. So bad things, uh, random bad things, could happen um, if you oversubscribe that. Wow. Um, so in so, you know, there, so could right yeah, past yeah. tense yes could yep so that's where managed disks come into play so when I click yes you notice the storage account uh, option goes away and what we do under the covers is we actually create storage accounts um, on the customer's behalf and disperse drives into them so um, you can't actually see the storage account um, I mean there's some some ways that you can actually probe into where they're actually stored and um, you know get a, a, a URL to be able to copy it from one location to another so there's some technical ways to be able to see it in the covers but we have completely abstract that away here and more importantly we make sure a customer is never going to end up getting in that situation described earlier where they're gonna um, you know be be throttled to the, the point or degree that the machine becomes unusable so, um, and if I look at, um, so I'm just going to go ahead and cancel out of this um, and go to a machine that I've already created. So this uh, this particular virtual machine, it's a Windows Server 2012 R2 machine. Um, and if I go to disks on this machine, Uh, this particular machine is actually using unmanaged disks. Um, so I can actually, so we're kind of comparing and contrast with what they look like under the covers. So in here, I can actually see um, this is actually running a Taste of Premiere Disks 344 blob, which if you recall, when I had the Storage Explorer open, that is the, the yeah. storage account that I have here. So this, in fact, is the VHD for this VM. So I can actually see it in this case. Um, and I can also see it from the portal if I go back in here and actually look at the uh, overview of this machine. It's I, there's a resource group I have called Taste of Premiere. And in this resource group should be the storage count that I just talked about. And uh, there's a 344 guy right there. So I can also see that um, you know, through the, the portal. I can actually browse into it. Um, I can go to containers, and um, the the monitoring, which I didn't let load, would actually show us what the inbound and outbound um, you know traffic is that storage account. So you would get some 
indicators perhaps that you've overloaded a storage account because you could you would actually visibly be able to see that and you know if you were monitoring that storage account um, but if I click on VHDs, I can actually see the same data that I just showed in that storage explorer. So I can actually browse through it um, here in the portal as well. But point is that you know the disk is actually sitting out here in a storage account, and and you know if I add 41 more disks to that particular storage account, I run the risk of of overloading it. Yeah. So if I go to another um, another VM here. Um, and go to disks. Uh, this one actually is using managed uh, disks. So um, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, show you here a machine that actually is using managed disks. Um, so go ahead and click on disks. Um, you can see that the actual disk name is cryptically named. I didn't actually uh, pick the name of this particular um, image because under the covers is actually um, you know, given a name based on the on the machine name. This is actually the boot disk for that that machine, and it's got a bunch of stuff after it. Mm -hmm. And if I dr drill into this thing and go to overview, you know, in the other other machine, we actually saw a storage account. Um, this particular instance, we don't actually see a storage account. We actually just get this resource ID. So there is kind of a programmatic way to be able to get to this, but in here, I can actually you know indicate if it's a, a premium storage account, if it's a um, you know, standard storage account. This particular machine is actually using a standard, uh, st um, you know, storage. It's not using the solid state storage. So you can see I can actually tell what my throughput limits or I/O limits will be on this: the 500 I/O or IOPS and 60 uh, megabytes per second uh, transfer speed. And if I go to the storage account, um, if I or I'm sorry, the uh, resource group that this uh, virtual machine is sitting in. And this is in this taste of premier scale. And I've got a couple things sitting in here. Um, but you can see there is no storage account. Um, what I do have is a disk object. So managed storage shows up a little bit differently when you actually um, you know, browse around. If you, you recall before, when you looked at the other VM, I had to actually drill in. I had to first look at what storage account it was in. Then I had to go into that storage account to actually see it. And here is actually more of a managed object, and it has some defined properties on its performance. And I don't have to worry about where it resides physically and ever, you know, bumping up against any limits. Yeah, cool. All right. So, um, so we talked about kind of the differences in, in uh, um, you know, the ways that you can actually deploy a virtual machine. And, and we, I, you know, touched upon the fact that you can deploy multiple virtual machines into an availability set. Um, another way that you can actually deploy multiple virtual machines is something called a scale set. And that was, um, I happen to have one of these guys created here. And if you recall, when I talked about scale sets, this is where you have a, uh, a template that you either you know, pull an image off the shelf in Azure and actually use that as a, a source of your template, or um, you can provide us with an image that will just um, you know, a generalized image, you know, one that's uh, been sysprepped, um, that we actually cookie cut in into n number of instances. Um, you know, so in this particular inst uh, case, I have, um, there's a load balancer that's sitting in front of this pool of machines. Um, and this pool of machines is currently comprised of a pool of one. You can see that, it, that this particular machine has a name, uh, test scale set underscore two. And if you recall, when I talked about availability sets, you have the ability, you actually pre-create those machines up front. 
um, with a scale set, um, the name, the host name is is randomly created, uh, you know, by the fabric. So I don't have any control over how it gets named. What happens is that each machine is kind of given a, a consecutive number, um, and then it kind of wraps around when it gets to a really high number, um, and uh, you know, and starts back over at one. I can't. It's in the the you know millions. I think that it ends up wrapping back around. Um, so you don't have as much granular control over you know the naming or the IP address assignment. But you do have a way to be able to rapidly add up to a thousand instances to be able to host your um, your particular application. Uh, so if I go to scaling, um, you know, like what we were talking about earlier, you can actually set up auto scale rules, and I can go ahead and add a rule here, and we'll look at what you can actually um, associate the rules with. Um, you can see that I can actually look at. Uh, disk I/O, um, you know, the network uh, traffic going in or out, um, you know, the CPU percentage, um, and I can, you know, determine how it's actually, you know, uh, averaging or or capturing these um, these statistics over time. Um, you know, what period it actually needs to exceed the threshold I define to ultimately increase um, or decrease. So I can, you can also create corresponding rules to shrink the number of machines in your pool. Um, and then you specify the number of nodes that it actually uses to, uh, or number of instances rather, that it actually adds or removes. That's cool. Um, so we can um, go back here to uh, scaling, and we can move this this you know fancy slider and manually go from one node to um, additional instances, but that wouldn't be as fun as it would be to, to use this really new feature that's in the portal. Um, it's called this Cloud Shell. <laughs> I'm going to click on that guy. Any any excuse. Yes, exactly. Um, so this is a Bash Shell. It takes a second to, to load up. And while it's loading, I'll show you in the drop-down, something really cool is coming soon is uh, we'll have a PowerShell environment available as well. And the really cool thing about this is, uh, you know, we rev these tools um, often. It looks like something just happened. Let me go ahead and go back into it. Uh, we rev these tools often. Um, so instead of having to keep all the tools uh, up to date on your machine um, and then having to authenticate to Azure, uh, when this shell opens up, it's going to already have me authenticated and um, allow me to interact with, um, you know, with, uh, with my subscription. Uh, there we go. So I get a bash shell. And I can actually use the command line tools, if you recall, on my other side when I, I talked about the, the command line uh, tools that are cross-platform. This is a Linux environment. Um, the, I can use the AZ command to, um, you know, interact with my subscription and give it a moment here. It's running a little sluggish. It's running really sluggish. There we go. Uh, so these are this is the command line tools that you can deploy to your machine um, and use use directly um, you know on on you know Linux machine Mac OS machine or or Windows machine but you have to authenticate and connect your subscription the the cool thing about this is I don't have to worry about that I'm already authenticated so I can actually interact with um, you know I can uh, type in uh, you know Azure VM uh, list and this will return a uh, some JSON uh, of the uh, all the virtual machines that I've deployed in my subscription. So I can actually, you know, shut them down, start them, uh, and, and so forth. But I can also 
interact with my VM scale set. So I'm going to type in uh, AZ um, VM scale set. So this is the, the command that you use or the, the verb you use to, uh, to interact with it. And my uh, uh, scale set is I'm actually going to tell it I want to increase the number of instances in this scale set. And this is sitting in a resource group called uh, Taste of Premier Scale. And the name of my scale set, which I can see right up here, um, Taste Scale Set. So my name of the scale set is Taste Scale Set. And I'm going to um, increase the capacity of, my, of, of the number of instances within this environment. So I'm going to say New Capacity, uh, and I'm going to say 10. And let this uh, run for a second. You see it's starting. And if I go to instances really quickly, look at that. So you can see that this is the numbering I told you that you don't have any control over. Um, yeah. So it started at 17 because I did this earlier. Um, and you see it goes all the way up to 31. Um, but really within a couple of minutes time, I'm, I'm now I'm going to have 11 machines that are actually running uh, you know whatever application that, that I have deployed, on, you know on this uh, on this image that I've actually provided the Azure Fabric. That's pretty cool. Yep. So so this is uh, you know kind of the, the the second way to do it. Um, all right. So let's. Um, so now you know we have some virtual machines running, and I'm not going to let this. Uh, you know, we won't, won't don't have to wait necessarily for this thing to run. So now you know you've got some some uh, uh, virtual machines running. Um, you know, how do you back them up? You know, and do some of the the standard operations that you would do if you were managing these in, in your own data center. Um, so I'm going to shrink this down here. Just let it finish up. Um, so we have some capabilities in, in Azure uh, called Azure Backup and Azure Site Recovery. And I'm going to go ahead and flip over to some slides and show you what those look like. Uh, and then we'll hop back to the portal. All right, Lex, so, so we talked about different ways to create the virtual machines, you know, the different storage accounts that, that you can actually map to the, the virtual hard disk under the covers. Uh, but now let's talk about, you know, some of the day-to-day, -day, you know, operational hygiene of, of those environments. And, uh, you know, one of the ways that you can actually do uh, backups of those machines that are running in Azure is using something called Azure Backup. Um, and this is actually a pretty powerful tool that can support a number of different customer scenarios. Um, you know, the, the one that we're going to look at is actually uh, doing it from a virtual machine running in Azure, and it can be a Windows or, vir or a Linux virtual machine. Uh, so we call that cloud-to-cloud -cloud backup. So, you know, very easy to do file-level backups and you can actually do file level restores for you know machines running in Azure directly to Azure Storage, which we just talked about earlier. Um, another thing that you can do is actually have a system center data protection manager server running in Azure uh, that you can actually use to protect assets that you have running in Azure, and you can actually point the uh, system center uh, a DPM server to a vault in Azure to house the backup. So that's another way that you can actually uh, do that instead of actually having to worry about spinning up lots of disks to be able to house uh, all the backups, you can just point it to um, you know, virtually unlimited storage that, that resides in, in Azure. But it doesn't stop there. We can actually also support scenarios where uh, customers need, you know, they might have a hybrid environment. Maybe they've got some machines in Azure they want to back up, and they've got some machines on-prem they want to back up. So we support going from 
uh, data center to to cloud, um, you know, where customers can can do you know file and and disk level uh, you know backup uh, directly into Azure. And we also support um, you know system center data protection manager on prem that can be used across a, a number of different um, types of environments. You know VMware, Hyper V, you know servers. Uh, SharePoint, SQL, and so forth. So you can have those assets backing up to a data protection manager server on-prem, and again have that data protection manager server um, dump the backups into uh, you know into Azure Backup for long-term retention. So a couple different ways that you can actually wire this up, and, and we'll we'll look at uh, in a minute a you know a a virtual machine in Azure and, and how you can configure backups. All right, so. Uh, this slide has a lot of stuff on it, but we have another cool capability called Azure Site Recovery. And this is a, a, a product a couple years ago that we acquired from a company called Inmaj. And we've revved it um, pretty significantly over the last couple of years and added a lot, of, a lot of features and capabilities to it. But functionally what it does, let's say that you have an on-premises data center and you have a DR site for that data center. Um, why pay a colo provider to actually house, um, you know, additional hardware that you have to procure and maintain? Um, that could be a, you also have to, you know, worry about hardware failures on that equipment over time. Um, you have to manage patching of that environment. Um, why not just take um, snapshots of those machines that you have running in your production data center, move them to Azure, and in the event of a failure in your on-premises environment, uh, you can actually use Azure as a, as your backup data center, and you know, click some buttons, and and uh, using some rules that you've already defined, spin up those machines using the last backup image or snapshot that they push in Azure. Um, so this works with VMware machines, uh, physical servers that are running on-prem, um, and it also works with um, uh, you know Hyper-V Virtual Machine Manager on-prem. But the other way that uh, other thing that you can use this for that's uh, not shown on the slide that I'm, I'll walk through here in a minute when I after I show how backup works is um, going from Azure to Azure. So in my example, and I was talking about the different ways that you can deploy machines in Azure. Um, you know, at the simplest form, you can just deploy a, a VM. Uh, you know counter or a size of one that's not part of an availability set, not part of a scale set, um, just a simple VM. And let's say it's running some line of business application um, that might be, you know, critical to support your business. Um, so what you can do is, you know, deploy that maybe to the East US and you can, within Azure, replicate that VM um, as granular as, as five minute intervals to take snapshots of that VM running in the East and shuttle it over to the west. Um, so should something, you know, knocking on lots of wood here, catastrophic ever happen in the East Data Center in Azure, um, you can use this same process to um, spin up your machine in the West US. And we'll talk about how that works. I can show you in the, in the portal because there's some, some pretty cool things that you can do with it. Cool. All right. Um, so I have the ability to actually... Um, associate this uh, the, this virtual machine with what we call a recovery services vault. So this is actually, think of this as the storage environment that all the backups are deposited into. Well, I happen to have, um, you know, have a couple storage vaults already already created. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and, um, you know, pick one of these. And there's a, a policy that I have defined within that, um, 
uh, within that uh, particular recovery vault, and it's just a default policy that basically does a daily backup at 12.30 a.m. Um, and retains um, each backup uh, for 30 days. So that's, that's the default policy that's associated with this particular uh, recovery services vault. Um, so if I click Enable Backup, it's actually is you know, quite literally that easy to associate um, you know, the the Azure backup service with a machine in Azure. Um, and I'm going to go to one that I already have uh, backups associated with. And if I go to backup, um, so this one actually has um, you know some backups that have occurred. You see, there, there's I have 30 restore points over the last 30 days. Uh, seven over the, the last uh, uh, seven days. Um, and I can actually see all of the uh, backups that have occurred. Um, and I can actually, you know, I can, from the portal, actually restore this VM from a backup. Um, or I can actually do uh, file-level recovery. Um, so let's say that I, I accidentally deleted a file, and I actually want to restore that. So one way that I can do that is by... Um, downloading a script locally to this virtual machine, um, and what what actually happens is is um, the storage and that recovery vault is mounted as a drive on that virtual machine. And I can just you know browse and find the file that I, I accidentally deleted and copy it back. Um, so that's what this is actually walking me through. Um, but I can also do that. I'm going to connect to that virtual machine directly and show you um, you know what you can see um, with uh, the backup client that's running on that on that machine. So, letting it uh, think here for a second, and I'm going to say uh, connect. All right. Connecting. Let me move this over to my other monitor. All right, so I have the Azure Backup uh, agent already installed on this machine. And this is the machine I was just looking at from the portal uh, that I can just go to recover data. And I, I'm going to tell it I want to restore to this server. I want to restore individual uh, files and folders. And it's going to go through and say what volume uh, that was backed up, do you want to actually restore from? And I'll just pick yesterday. And when I click mount, um, it will actually mount that particular uh, backup as a volume that I can then copy files um, you know, to and from uh, to, you know, for restoration purposes. So that'll take yeah, a couple cool. minutes. Yeah, yeah. So you know, really, really easy and straightforward. You know, backup as a service or disaster recovery as a service. Hmm. All right. So the final cool thing that we'll show, um, so um, if I go to Recovery Services Vaults, um, this is actually where, this is that, that repository where the backups are actually housed. So I can actually see, you know, this is that a ACS test um, that I was just, that I just yeah. configured that other machine to go to. I also have this other vault called ASR West. So this is actually where I have um, Azure Site Recovery actually configured for a machine that I have running in my subscription. Uh, so if I go to uh, Site Recovery, 
and say uh, replicated items. Um, it's actually telling me it's in a critical state because I haven't had this machine on in a while, so it's actually behind on, uh, on replicating it. Um, but this particular uh, virtual machine is, uh, is replicating. Uh, when this loads, you'll actually see some detail. This is running in the east, and it's actually oh, look at that. It's really cool animation. It's, it's, are those are those actual data centers? Uh, yep, th those are actual. You know, those are Azure regions. So I actually selected the west region as a location that I want to actually replicate this thing to. And you can see active region right now is active in the east, and my target is the west. So um, cool thing about site recovery is it's two way. So if I were to fail to the west, and then maybe services restored in the east, and I want to go back. Um, I can actually move the direction of that of that flow of data from the west back to the east. It would replicate changes that would have occurred while I was running in the west back to east, and I could, um, you know, I could start running it again back uh, back on the east side. That's cool. So you've got one critical event there. Yeah, yeah. This is actually like I said. This machine was just started up earlier today, and it's behind. Yep. Um, yep. and, and it looks like there's also an agent that I have to actually update on this machine. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things that it's, it's not really healthy. But um, So uh, as soon as the backup gets done, that'll clear? Yes, yeah, and it looks like I do have to yeah. update, update that agent on here. So, yep. um, so some other things that I can do with this machine. So, so let's say that you want to deploy, uh, yeah, you know, maybe you got a line of business application, and you want to deploy some OS updates. Um, and maybe some .NET updates. Maybe the line of business application is written in .NET. Sometimes there's some sensitivity to some code that you've written that might break if you deploy an update to .NET. There might, might be some breaking changes, in other words. So now that we have snapshots of this machine flowing over to the West, um, what I can actually do is something called the test failover, um, where I can actually uh, spin up a new, um, a new VM into a isolated network. So if yeah, I could actually create another network in the West um, that is different from my production network and tell it I want to restore um, you know, from the, the last uh, you know, recovery time objective of this VM and actually create an, a, basically a complete image of my production environment in an isolated network that I, I can use for testing. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I have customers who have actually used this for moving, um, for upgrading their, their version of SharePoint or updating their version of SQL. Something that's fairly, you know, critical to their environment, they can actually exercise this over and over again, kind of get their, their plan in place and, and validate that it actually works and then do it for real. So this is a, you know, really cool way to be able to um, validate, you know, functionality. And, um, you know, oftentimes it's, it's difficult to actually do a DR drill. Um, customers I've spoken to that have a colo, it might, you know, be a significant amount of effort to change, um, you know, all the network plumbing and so forth to fail over the colo. And this is a way that they, customers can actually fail over to their production network or maybe to a test network uh, to see how, how uh, a DR, you know, would actually respond in the event of an actual emergency. Um, so you can kind of use it in a, in a couple different ways. Um, so if we actually go to... Um, the uh, recovery plan. So we have data replicating, but how do we actually, you know, what rules do we use 
to um, you know provision those machines uh, in the West should an event occur. So if you think about a situation where you have um, maybe a, uh, a SharePoint farm. So you've got directory controllers, you've got a SQL box, and then you also have a SharePoint farm. Um, and maybe some other, you know, myriad of other of, of other ancillary resources that you need. In the boot order uh, matters. You want the you know director controller come up first, the SQL box come up next. Um, in here, um, I actually defi de define the you know how things fail over. So it's a D1 VM uh, in the east, and I actually tell it what size I want it to be in the west. And this is really important if you are failing over from an on-premise environment into Azure, on-premises environment into Azure, um, because there might not be a direct mapping of core count and memory sizes um, between what you have on-premises on in, in Azure. So um, in this case, it's actually detecting, hey, I've got a D1, D2 VM. Um, there happens to be one in the West, so it's directly mapping it here. But I can actually override that and change a different size VM uh, when it fails over. Um, in here, I can also see, you know, it's good, this is the network it's running on in the source. Uh, this is the network that it would be running on in the target. Um, so I can, you know, define those parameters here. And what I was actually um, looking for here, I have to find in part of the recovery plan, is the boot order. All right, so I had actually, I clicked on that instead of hitting customize. Uh, so this is actually how the failover works. So in here, I can actually see, um, this is kind of a simple example because I only have one VM, but I can create groupings of machines. So I can actually create a group with my directory controllers, have it um, actually boot up first, um, and then I can actually kind of create the, the, you know, the boot order in which it actually starts machines up. So you can see that I can actually um, you know, add an action that occurs before it starts up these these machines. So maybe in the case of my my directory controller, I can actually um, you know I, I want those to be up and running before I actually uh, start up my my SQL boxes and my SQL boxes to be up before I start up my my SharePoint machine. So you can control the mapping of size as well as the 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 startup order. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So um, that was really all I had to show uh, everyone today. You know, we kind of talked about you know virtual machine management, and then um, you know, we talked about uh, you know, uh, the basics of, of backup, how we can actually insulate those machines um, you know, from failure. There is um, one really slick thing that I want to show this a really new capability in Azure. Okay. And this aligns with the fact this is called a Taste of Premiere show. So uh, you know, we're assuming we have a lot of folks who have Premiere support um, you know, watching. Um, so if you have, um, you know, services in Azure and, you know, if stuff happens, you know, occasionally there might be network interruptions or hiccups that might disrupt services that you have uh, deployed. And you can do a couple things here. You can actually see a history of issues that might have occurred that actually impacted, um, you know, services that your subscription was using. And that's the key point here is that um, we have a publicly accessible service health dashboard. Um, and the, the challenge with that is, is it's showing global service availability and it doesn't really directly correlate to your stuff. Um, this is showing 
the correlation of events or bad things that might be happening in Azure, or even maybe isolated things. It might only be affecting 10 or 12 customers. It might not even show up on a service health dashboard. Um, you have the ability to see some notifications of that um, through the service health history. So showing, you know, we had an issue um, uh, a couple days ago with Visual Studio Team Systems with Active Directory. Um, I'm actually a user of Visual Studio Team Systems, um, and it's actually telling me, um, you know, some details of that particular event. And I can actually see, um, you know, the root cause, um, you know, what the uh, mitigation was. Um, so I can actually see some, some uh, you know, information about, um, you know, things that are impacting my subscription. Yep. I can also see any planned maintenance events. So um, this is something a lot of customers have asked for. Uh, you know, when we're doing, you know, host maintenance that might impact their virtual machines, as an example, they want to be notified. And this actually is a good way for them to actually set up alerts, um, you know, when we do that, um, you know, perform those sorts of events and kind of see details of that. Um, you know, we haven't actually done anything disruptive in quite a while in Azure, so you know, there's nothing that's showing up here. Um, and I can also drill in and see um, all of my services. And the cool thing about this is I can actually filter this. Um, you know, maybe I've got um, some very specific services that are really critical. Um, uh, you know, maybe uh, um, you know, Azure Active Directory we can use as an example. Um, so there aren't any active issues on here. Um, but I can actually pin this uh, this map to my dashboard, and when you do that, um, what you actually get is this uh, this pretty cool uh, service health map. Um, this actually, when I click on it, you know, everything's green. Thankfully, it's going to take me to a filter list showing any issues with that particular critical service. So you see, I've got a bunch of regions selected, and I've got a bunch of services selected. So I'm saying that you know all is well in in, in Azure world right now. Um, with the the locations that I have picked, that, that's um, awesome. Yep. Yeah, I I know a lot of customers that that would just love that. Yep. Yep. And um, occasionally we might detect something behind the scenes that might be um, important for a customer to be aware of. So maybe you know it's not really an outage, but maybe the customer is running on a storage environment that's running slow. It's been reported as running slow. And we might have some specific instructions that we might want to give that, that customer. So we can actually push those types of instructions to this portal as well. So um, we get, it's, it's a, you know, a, a good one-stop shop to get you know, outage information, outage history, you know, maintenance information, as well as important um, you know, notifications from, from engineering or, or from support that the customer might need to, to apply to their subscription. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. So anything, any other questions, Alex? No, I think this is awesome. Um, uh, you know, that's that's uh, it's it's neat to see the uh, different storage options and back backup options that we have. Um, I love the health advisory stuff. I think that that's awesome. Um, you know, that yeah. really the the bottom line is customers want to know a couple of things. Uh, yeah. Number one, you know, what's Microsoft doing? Is it doing anything that's going to affect? The availability of the services that I need, uh, so that's 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 awesome. Yeah. Uh, and number two, you know, hey, what's going on behind the scenes? Um, and so, no, this this was great, man. I really appreciate you doing this for us. Yeah, no problem. Yep. And and uh, you know, to your point on the on the the you know, so what I showed in Azure Health is a kind of a a, a list that. 
that you can actually view in the portal. But you can also set up SMS or email alerts around those particular, um, you know, for, let's say that you've got a bunch of services in Azure, but you really only want to be notified if, you know, your production stuff is impacted. Um, you can actually set up alerts around that very specific service, um, and you can wire it up to, you know, ServiceNow or maybe other other notification, at, you know, tools or, or uh, you know, management tools you use on-premises. Um, and you can also, uh, you know, have it put, do push, you know, SMS alerts or email-based alerts. So, so really cool stuff. We've done a lot of, made a lot of investments to make that experience better for customers. But here's the real question. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is this is what I think all our customers are really kind of wanting to know about Azure, and that is, can I use a Zune to access it? Yeah, you know, absolutely. We have some new t- a new application that was just launched to do uh, to to manage your your Azure uh, uh, subscription from a mobile device. So that's uh, I, I <laughs> I'm not sure if it would run on a Zune. That would be interesting to check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But if you do still have a Zoom, you could probably subscribe to Taste of Premiere on it. Absolutely. That you can do. Yeah. By the way, we were playing around with these before we started the show today. And uh, I thought this one was completely dead. But if you look at it, it's got a little charging icon now. So you were right, Ryan. It was that the battery was just kind of too, too dead, dead for to respond. <laughs> so I'm just going to let it sit and charge for uh, a few more hours and see if it actually powers up. And another 10 years, you can sell that sucker to the Smithsonian. To- That's right. Yeah, I'm thinking about donating this one to Marvel because uh, they might need a second one for the next version, for the next iteration of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, so so Groot can uh, can rock out. Even even comes with the official Zoom case. <laughs> oh, that I, I want to see you walking around next week in Vegas uh, at our technical conference, uh, sporting that on your on your belt. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> you know what? I think the case shrunk because I don't think I can get it back in the case. <laughs> Hang on. Now it's a challenge. <laughs> is this the right case for this? Oh, this might not be the right case. I bet this is the case for the 120 gig. Oh, yeah, that's what's going on. The 120 gig, you know, you got to have more physical space in the case to store all those physical bits. No, no, no. The 120 gig is actually smaller than the original Zoom. Oh, okay. Yeah, here, check it out. I'm going to do this one more, t- j- just 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 for the benefit of folks at home. But yeah, see see the oh. size difference. Oh, no kidding. Okay, so that was a newer generation. Okay, this I'm... is the first original. This is the the second gen. Okay, and I do have a third gen around somewhere, the Zoom HD, but I I have no idea where that is. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. Good. Well, listen. Thanks again, man. And I can't wait to have you on. Uh, uh, again, I think we're going to probably do uh, maybe some express route stuff next time I have you on and uh, uh, just maybe go through step by step how to set that up. So something to look forward to. All right. No, sounds good. Thanks for having yep. me on. Anytime, guys. And that's your taste of premiere. <laughs>